Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. Amen. Amen. Would y'all give the Lord a hand this morning and thank Him? Wow. It's been a great, great morning. Thanks, Megan. Thanks, Hector, for leading us in that last song. Well, good morning. Hey, welcome to Sugar Hill. Are y'all glad you're here today? Yeah, awesome. Well, this is, uh, we're in the middle of what we call summers at Sugar Hill, and we love summers here at Sugar Hill. There's so many unique things going on, and so I want to echo what Pastor Chuck said on the front end. We're glad you're here, and please be sure to check out your bulletin and uh, either the physical one today, or you can always log on to our website and check out the online version of it. But one reminder I want to tell you is that uh, next Sunday, June 30th, and then the first Sunday of July, July 7th, we're going to have one combined worship service at 11 each of those days. And so there's not going to be any other um, kind of adult stuff going on those mornings. We want to get everybody, it's so rare that we're able to gather everybody together like that. And so June 30th, July 7th, we'll have all the, from student ministry up, sixth grade up, we'll be in this room. You can check out the info in the bulletin about where your kiddos go during that 11 o'clock hour, but it'll be a great, great day. I hope you'll be part of it. Uh, last week, we started a brand new series called Rescue. We started a brand new series called Rescue, and Pastor Chuck really knocked it out of the park with this idea that God wants to use us, that God wants to call us, that God wants to use every single person in this room to be part of a rescue mission, that God has uh, created this space for us to be able to challenge one another and invite one another to be part of what God is up to here in Sugar Hill, here in Gwinnett County, here around the world, that God is up to something great and he invites you and he invites me to be part of that. Now last week as we kicked off the series, we looked at the life of Moses, where Moses for 40 years basically had been on the run. For about 40 years, Moses had grown up in Egypt. I don't know if you know his backstory, but he grew up in Egypt almost like he's one of Pharaoh's kids or grandkids. And so he lived in luxury. He had the best education. He had a lot of things going for him. And yet there was a moment that he pulled away and he went sideways in his relationship with Pharaoh. And for the next 40 years, he basically was on the run. Last week when Pastor Chuck started the series, we found Moses in the middle of a place called Midian, literally the backside of nowhere. Here's this guy that had grown up with luxury. Here's this guy that grew up with everything handed over to him. And now he's living in the middle of nowhere and he's settled down to life as usual. Basically, he, he, he became a shepherd. He started a family and he lived a quiet life just on the run. And so last week we found where God showed up in the middle of nowhere and God called out to Moses and said, Moses, I want you to be the one. I want you to be the rescuer that returns back to oppression, that goes back to Egypt where the rest of your people are in slavery. I want you to go out and I want you to rescue them. And here's what we believe in this room this morning is God's looking at us as individuals and that's the mission he's calling us on. But a lot of times what happens in our culture is we, in some ways, like, like uh, Moses did, we try to settle our lives down. We try to find a nice, comfortable way of living. We try to have sort of a quiet life that ha- doesn't have a whole lot of ups and downs. And yet in the middle of that comfortable life, in the middle of this comfortable city that we live in, God shows up. And I think he says to 10 out of 10 of us this morning, he says, I want to use you to rescue the people around you. 
I want you to rescue your family members. I want you to rescue your coworkers. I want you to rescue this city and this county. I want you to join me in that rescue mission. Now, the problem with that is it sounds good on Sunday, doesn't it? Sounds good for pastor type, white pastor Chuck, to stand up here and say, God wants to use you, but immediately, I'm telling you immediately, because I've sat in your seat for so many years, immediately we're like, yeah, that sounds great, but that's not for me. Have you ever felt that before? Somebody gets up and they're like, hey, yeah, God wants to use you, or, or maybe it's something else, you know, God wants you to witness and, and share your faith with the people around you. And immediately, so many people begin to say, well, I can't do it. There's no way. That's a great message for somebody down the row, and that's a great message for somebody over here, but that's not really for me. And already, I'm telling you already, some of us in this room have clicked off, and you're like, man, that's not for me. But the truth is this morning, you're here for a reason. You still have breath for a reason. You're not an accident, and you're not here by accident. God wants to call every single one of us on this rescue mission. And yet here's what I found. Even though God throughout history and throughout the Bible, God has chosen individuals just like you and just like me to join him in that mission. So often people will say no to it. So my question this morning is, if God has called every single one of us to be part of rescuing Gwinnett and rescuing Sugar Hill, why is it that so many people don't want to be part of it? In other words, if God himself is showing up and God himself this morning is saying, I want you and you and you and you and you and all of us this morning to be part of his mission, why is it that we would walk out of here and say no? And this all comes right out of the life of Moses. So if you have your bulletin, I'm going to ask you to jot down a couple of these reasons on the little sermon notes page. And as we do, I want to ask you, where are you in this process? Where are you in this rescue mission? So here's what happens. Exodus 3, God shows up in the middle of nowhere. Life is going on as usual for Moses. And God shows up and says very specifically, I want to use you. And God doesn't just show up as some feeling inside of them. God doesn't show up through some pastor type. Literally, the Bible says an angel of the Lord. And oftentimes when you see angel of the Lord capitalized in Old Testament scripture, that is saying God showed up. God showed up. And God said, I want to use you. Well, here's where we pick it up. Exodus chapter 4 and verse 1. Exodus 4 verse 1. So imagine this. God speaking to Moses. God said, I want to use you. I want you to go back from where you came from. I want you to go across enemy lines. I want you to go where people are in bondage. And maybe today in our generation, we don't have a Pharaoh and maybe we don't have physical bondage, but I guarantee you there are people in our county that are in spiritual bondage. The Bible says that he who sins is a slave to that sin. There are people that are, are in slavery to darkness and God's calling us to go back. And here's Moses' first response, chapter four, verse one. Then Moses said, well, what if they will not believe or what if they won't listen? For they may say the Lord has not appeared to you. Reason number one, why I think so many of us will not say yes to the rescue mission is number one, because of the excuses that we make. The excuses we make. How many of you know people that immediately, no matter what the idea is, no matter what you're suggesting, you can already feel the tension when you're, you're, you're just making just a little statement. You're just making a, uh, just a little suggestion and immediately you feel sort of the walls go up and excuses coming out of their mouth. Do y'all know people like that that always, always, always have an excuse? Do y'all? Maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just me. But growing up, my grandmother, she's awesome. But uh, she is the biggest warrior I know. Do y'all know worry people in your life? People that just worry about everything. 
she's always worried because of what I do and traveling and church stuff. And she's, she's always worried about something. And even if there's nothing to worry about, she'll make something up. Do y'all know people like that? I called her one time. I was like, hey, ma'am, how are you doing? And you could just hear the hesitation in her voice. I'm like, what are you worried about? And she had nothing to be worried about, nothing at all. And so she's making it up. She's like, I'm just so worried the magnets might fall off the refrigerator door. Do y'all know these people? I mean, real. Like, what? And so she's always got an excuse of why she hasn't been out, why she hasn't done something, why just excuse after excuse after excuse. Well, I have that tendency in my own life. I think we all do in some ways. See, here's what happens for Moses. Immediately when God says, I want to use you, immediately the walls go up and he starts saying why he can't do it. Well, if you're taking notes, let me just point out a few of them and see if these don't resonate with you. Excuse number one underneath that first point is I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. It says in chapter three, verse 11, Moses is pushing back. He's like stepping back from God speaking. And he says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? He's like, who am I? He's like, I'm not good enough. Man, look at me. I've been on the run for 40 years. Look at me. I I made some mistakes. And here's his thought is that his past mistakes automatically disqualify him from future missions from God. And that's just not true. It's not true. So excuse number one, I'm not good enough. Excuse number two is I don't know enough. I don't know enough. I don't have all this whole God thing figured out. I don't, I don't have this whole, I, I don't know all the answers. I don't know enough. Here's what he says in chapter three, verse 13. He says, behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they may say to me, what is his name? And Moses is like, I don't even know what your name is. So you, you, you can sense him backing away. You can sense him throwing the walls up. Well, I don't know enough. I'm not good enough. Here's excuse number three. Excuse number three is I don't have enough influence. I don't have enough influence or enough pull. He's like, they're not even going to listen to me. He says in chapter four, verse one, what if they will not believe me? What if they will not listen? For they may say, the Lord, the Lord has not appeared to you. He's like, man, I, I'm not the most influential person. People don't listen to me. They're listening to other people. What if I show up and they just blow me off? They just blow me off. Listen to the next excuse. Excuse number four is I don't have enough skills. I don't have enough skills. He says in chapter four, verse 10, please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither recently nor in times past, nor since you've spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and I am slow in tongue. He's like, I'm not the most eloquent person in the room. You need a spokesperson. You need somebody that's confident. You need somebody that is over the top, slick, everybody listens to. That's not me. That's not me. And here's the last excuse I'll give you. There's more, but excuse number five, Excuse number five is, I don't feel worthy. I don't feel worthy. He's like, God, I can't do this. And so, so in verse 13, he said, but please, Lord, now send the messenger by whomever you will. He's like, God, there's got to be somebody else that has more potential, that looks like they have it together. They're a better speaker, that they have more influence. God, send somebody else. I can't do it. My guess is in this room, somewhere along the way, one or more of these excuses has intersected your life because I know they have my life. I know in my own life. I mean, as a kid, I've never been a super confident person. I've never been the outgoing person. I never walk in the room and go, woo, look at me. Hey, I'm here. I'm more of the introverted kind of type. I'm cool with just sitting back. I'm cool with just sitting in the back of the room watching. I'm okay with that. 
And uh, man, God started dealing with me in, in middle school and then dealing with me when I was in high school about ministry and serving. And very specifically, he started narrowing it down to preaching. And I thought, man, I can't do it. I mean, I, I, I'm not good at this. I don't know all this stuff. I, I, I'm not the most influential person in the room. I'm not the most eloquent of speech. I can't. I mean, I, and I think the enemy plays on that a lot of times, our insecurities and our weakness. For me, when I was a kid, I remember being taken out of normal class and taken to remedial classes because I had a learning disability in the area of reading. And so, I, you know, all of that stuff, your story, your past, maybe for you it's not a disability. Maybe for you it's a sin. Maybe it's a mistake. Maybe it's something you could redo. But I guarantee you, in the middle of the moments when God shows up and says, I want to use you, one of the big reasons that we don't say yes it's because we've got an excuse, don't we? I can't do it. I don't have enough influence. I don't have enough pull. I don't know enough. But if you look at every single one of those excuses, I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. I don't have enough pull. I don't have enough skills. I don't feel worthy. What is the one word that is common in all of those? It's what? It's I. I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. I don't have enough pull. I don't have enough skills. I don't feel worthy. And the lesson that Moses had to learn is it really wasn't about him. When God calls us on a mission, on his mission, guess whose mission it remains the whole time? His. When God calls us to join him in rescuing Gwinnett, it is still his mission. Just because we're involved doesn't mean it's about us. In fact, when Moses is asking the question, well, whom shall I say sent me? Guess what God's response is? I am sent you. The creator, the sustainer, the, the, the Lord, the savior, I am. So it's not about I it's about the I am. It's not about how much you know. It's about who you know. It's not who you and I are on our own. It's about whose we are. So in the middle of those moments, that's got to resonate. It's not about me. So reason number one, some of us would say no to the rescue mission is because of excuses. Not only that, big point number two, if you're taking notes, the second reason so many people say no to the rescue mission is not just excuses, but because of relationships that are shaping their lives. Relationships that are shaping their lives. You know this as well as I do, that the people we hang out with, we become like, don't we? I mean, don't you have some of those friends that, that you've heard the same story so often, but it's still funny, and by the time they get to the punchline, they can just stop and you could finish it for them. I mean, we all have those kind of friendships that, that the people we're around, they shape our life, and also, they determine the quality of our life. Isn't that true? That the people we hang out with, the people that we work with, the people that we email or text all the time, the people that we share a meal with over the table, the people that we go to games with, the people that we have over for the cookout, the people in our lives, they shape our lives. And what I've found to be true is we, 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 we don't really think about the, the direction that our relationships are taking us. We don't. In the first service, we, we had, I don't know, a couple hundred uh, teenagers here sort of in this section. It's so awesome that, that they come every single Sunday plugged in. They're in growth groups right now. But, uh, but every 
every Sunday that I look at our group of students, I think, well, this is an obvious message for them that they need to watch the relationships they're in. They need to guard who their friends are. Chances are, if you're a parent or a grandparent, you've had, had that talk with your kid or your grandkid. Now be careful who you hang out with. Be careful who you associate with. That, that if you associate with somebody, even if you don't do everything they do, you're, you're guilty by association to other people. Isn't that true? We, we tell that to the next generation and it's almost like we think it only applies to 18 and under, but it doesn't apply to us. But it does. It really does. No matter what age we are, whatever stage we are, whether we're 18 or 88, the relationships that we're in, that we're in, they shape us. And what's happened for a lot of us is we'll come to church on Sunday and God will just pour gasoline on our faith and we walk out of here. And by the time Pastor Chuck gets to the end and says, because he loves you, we're like, yes. But the danger is, once we leave this place, we go back to life as usual, don't we? We go back to uh, punching the time card and we go back to hanging out with whoever it is that we hang out with. And here's what I, what I want to suggest to you, is if the people you're hanging out with all the time, if the people you're going to the games with, if the people that you're talking to on the phone every day aren't going in the same direction, guess what they're gonna do? They're gonna pour cold water on the flame of God that's in your life. They're gonna pour, pour cold water on, on that passion that you have for God. And if you're not careful, you'll find yourself drifting. I've seen that in my own life, that the people I hang out with end up shaping me. The people that I hang out with end up changing the direction of my life. And so what I want to say to all of us, that one of the reasons why we say no to the rescue mission is because somebody has talked us out of it or somebody has, has dulled that passion for God because of relationships. See, here's what happens for Moses. Moses goes back to Egypt. So every excuse God has, God's, or Moses has, God's like, it's not about you, Moses. It's not about who you are. It's about whose you are. It's not about what you know. It's about who you know. And so every single time God attacks one of those excuses. So finally, by Exodus chapter five, Moses stands up and he's like, okay, it's not about me. It's about you. And so he returns to Egypt. Now his, his distant relatives, his people, the Israelites are in slavery. And so here's Moses showing up to rescue them. He assumes that everybody's just going to say, awesome. Thank you, Moses. You're the man. But guess what happens? When Moses returns, he goes to Pharaoh and he says to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the land, God has said, let my people go. Now, Pharaoh doesn't respond well, does he? In Pharaoh's eyes, Pharaoh thinks he himself is God. He, people in Egypt worshiped him. And so now here's this guy from Midian saying, the true God says to let his people go. And Pharaoh's like, they're my people. I am God. Worship me. And so he snaps. He goes off. And so here's what he does to the Israelites that are his slaves that are working uh, hard for him. They're, they're making bricks. They're building stuff for him. Uh, here's what Pharaoh does. He says, well, if you guys have enough time and your God says to let you go, then apparently you've got too much time on your hands. And so what Pharaoh decides to do is to take away some of their supplies and yet ramp up what is required for them to produce. And so the people of Israel don't know the, the conversation that Moses has had. They, they're not really privy to that conversation. So all they know is that life is getting harder. And sometimes that's the way people in our city feel. They're like, the older I get, the harder life's becoming. And I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how I'm going to. And they feel the weight of this and they don't know where to turn. Well, the nation of Israel, they go to Pharaoh. They're like, Pharaoh, you want us to produce, but you're not giving us supplies. 
what gives? And Pharaoh says, well, it's your leader, Moses. He's the problem. And so what happens in Exodus chapter 5, verse 21, it says, They said to them, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. So they're looking at their rescuer saying, we don't want you. Think about that. Here's Moses saying yes to the dream of God, yes to the call of God, and yet the people he is called to rescue begin to push back. Sometimes that happens in our relationships, doesn't it? We sense what God's calling us to do. We sense that stirring inside of us. We're ready to say yes. And I'm telling you, if you're not careful, the people you hang out with will talk you out of it. If you want to write down a scripture verse and look it up later, a great one to write down is Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, written by the wisest man that's ever lived. And here's what he said about friendships. He said, he who walks with the wise will grow wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. That's his succinct way of saying, if you hang out with the right people, if you hang out with wise people, you're going to grow wise. But if you hang out with people that know the truth and refuse to do the truth, you will suffer harm. Not maybe, not if, you will suffer harm. When their life explodes, when they make the mistake, you're going to suffer for it. So today we've got a guard who has access to our life. So reason number one, people say no to the rescue mission, excuses. Reason number two, because of relationships. Here's the last reason. Reason number three, because of opposition. Because of opposition. See, sometimes we, um, we get this idea that if we say yes to God, then that means life's going to be easy. It's sort of like we buy into this idea, well, if I just pray this one prayer, if I fill out the little card and stick, give it to one of the, the, the greeters on the way out, if I, if, I, if I do this thing, if I get baptized or whatever, whatever that is for you, if I start coming to church or if I say yes to Jesus or if I start serving somewhere within the church, it's sort of like we think because we're doing something good, then that means that life is going to be good. That if I say yes to Jesus, then life's going to be great. And yet, what we have all experienced at one time or another is it seems like the more we say yes, sometimes the harder life becomes. Have you ever experienced that? That, that you begin to surrender, you begin to say yes, you begin to, to sense what God's calling you to do, and yet when you step into it, immediately there's a firestorm in your life. Immediately something falls apart. Immediately there's some drama. Immediately there's something that causes you to second guess, well, maybe, maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. Maybe I should just quit. There's a lot of people that have been through broken marriages and a lot of people that have been through broken dreams and a lot of people that have had failing health that have been at that point of opposition, of obstacle, and they've been tempted to say, well, I quit. But here's what I want to say this morning is anytime there's opposition in our life, anytime there's tension, anytime there's pushback, that is not a sign that what you're doing is wrong. In other words, if you're saying yes to Jesus and you're saying, yes, I want to join you. And in the middle of your yes to whatever God's calling you to, whether it's confronting a relationship, whether it's confessing some sin that's been deep down in your soul, hidden for so long, whether it's uh, 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 whatever it may be in the middle of you saying, yes, if you feel pushback, that's not necessarily a sign that something's wrong. It is a sign that something's right. Let me tell you what I mean by that. 
When we're not saying yes to Jesus, when we're not part of the rescue mission, when we're not trying to rescue Gwinnett and we're just sitting on the sideline, we're just spectators. Isn't that true? At the, anytime I've been to a professional sports game, I've never seen a person come off the field and, and try to tackle me. That's never happened. Why? Because I'm not in the game. Isn't that true? The only people that come under attack are the people that are on the field. And so here's what happens. If we're on the sidelines, right, if we're in the stands, if we're just mere spectators of the rescue mission, but not part of it actively, there's no reason for the enemy to attack us. There's no reason for the enemy to come up in the stands and tackle us because we're already on the sidelines, aren't we? We're just watching. We've just got our giant drinks and our, our, our nachos and cheese. We're just spectators. So the enemy doesn't have to attack us. We're already sidelined. But the moment we step out of the stands and the moment we get on the field and the moment we begin to say, sign me up, put me in, guess what that does? It places a target on your life, doesn't it? Because now you're not a spectator. Now you're part of the game. And here's what's happened for a lot of us. We think that living for Christ ought to feel spectatorish when the truth is that when you're on the field, there is an enemy. There is an enemy. Moses had an enemy, didn't he? He had to face who? He had to face Pharaoh. He had to face the most powerful man in the land. And so Moses shows up and says, God told me, let my people go. Pharaoh doesn't say, well, that's awesome, great. He pushes back, doesn't he? And the same is going to be true for you as well. Maybe you don't have a physical Pharaoh, but the Bible says that our war is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritualities, against forces of this dark world. In other words, Ephesians chapter 5 talks about that our war isn't against flesh and blood, but there's an unseen realm around us that there is an enemy. And so instead of the attack causing you to want to quit, what I'd encourage you to do is when you feel the pushback, to lean in harder and say, God, I don't want to give up. I don't want to quit. Because what I find so fascinating, the thing that got Moses out off of the stands and onto the field was his personal experience with the great I am. When Jesus showed up on this earth and people asked him, well, well, who are you? And, and Jesus is like, well, who do people say that I am? Jesus over and over again said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. And so today, the way that you and I can get out of the stands is to say yes to him. Say yes to him. Instead of us allowing friends, instead of us allowing opposition and excuses to cause us to say no, my prayer is today that your relationship with the great I am would cause you to get out of the stands and onto the field. Let's pray together this morning. Would you pray with me? As we pray, one of the great, one of the great reminders of the great I am is that right before Jesus was betrayed, right before Jesus went to the cross, Jesus gathered his disciples together for a final meal. They gathered together in a place that we call the upper room, and Jesus took two symbols right out of the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, when the nation of, deliver, of Israel is finally delivered, they had a meal called the Passover meal that included several elements. And Jesus took two of those elements. He took the bread and he took, took the wine or the juice. And he used those two pictures right before his death to say to you and to say to me and to his disciples that he is the way, 
He is the truth. He is the life. That just like the nation of Israel was delivered from bondage through that Passover where the blood of the lamb was applied to the doors of the house of Israel, Jesus is saying to you and to me and to Gwinnett, the way that we are delivered is by his blood, his death, his resurrection. And so in a few moments, as part of our worship. We're going to spend some time doing what Jesus said. He said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me, where we can take a picture of the bread. We can take a picture of the juice and say, thank you that it's not about me. It is about you. Father, thank you for your invitation to join you. Thank you that it's not about me. It's not about us. It's not about our excuses. It's not about how much we know, but it's who we know today. Father, would you help us to see you high and lifted up? Would you help us to see you as the leader, the Lord, the one that made it possible for us to be rescued and to turn around and rescue? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.